SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. What's up? You guys, I have a burning question, and it is, what happens when a taco and a banana have a conversation? Uh... <laughs> is this a joke? Is this a is this a improv game? I don't know. I said, "What's a good question to ask at the beginning of a silly podcast?" And ChatGPT said, oh. "What happens when a taco and a banana have a conversation?" And then I oh, said, "I don't know what." And it said, "What if gravity suddenly turned sideways and everybody had to walk on walls?" And that's what the one would say to the other, or what? Uh, maybe. <laughs> what the taco would say. I thought it was going to be, I was like thinking of all the different puns. Let's talk about it. Wow, that's so appealing. Like other Mm, things, trying to mush them together. That's really Mm -hmm. good. 
I think if they were to talk to each other, they would quickly deduce that they were both about to be eaten, and then they would figure out a way to escape from the situation that they were in. They also have kind of mm-hmm. a similar shape. They'd have a lot in common, I think, that they would yeah. become friends, perhaps lovers. I think that was what I was thinking. I think oh. they could spoon oh. each other extremely well because of the shape. Was yeah. it a soft taco? Because I think a, I think a banana could easily break a crunchy taco. But if it's a soft flour taco, that is a food that I would probably enjoy. Oh, like wrapped around just, a banana? Oh, what if you a had a bit of taco wrapped around a banana? <laughs> oh, you wouldn't even put. I was thinking like you maybe spread some peanut butter on it, wrap it around like a crepe. Like a crepe. Yeah, that's yeah. just a crepe. A poor man's <laughs> you crepe. Them. I would even eat a crunchy shell taco with some bananas in it. I think it would be a weird, oh, salty, sliced. sweet experience. Yeah. New Doritos Tacos Locos Bananos. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, the classic Spanish word for banana. Bananos. Okay. But, <laughs> but if you fried up some plantains and put them in a, a spicy tacos, locos, whatever, that oh, would maybe yeah. be delicious. That... I mean, if, if the year Taco Bell gets plantains, plantains. is <laughs> like everything got way too good uh-huh. in the world. Like we need to all give up. Humanity's peaked. There's plantains at the fast food restaurants now. We can do anything. That's how World War Three ended in Star Trek and everything got so good. That was the event that yeah, happened and everyone was like, we can't Bell. fight anymore. Taco Bell's got plantains. Tell that to chat GPT. Well, I asked, I told it two times. I, I followed up and I was like, no, Taco Bell got plantains and it ended World War Three, And it's, <laughs> it figured it out. I was like... That's an interesting and creative scenario. While purely <laughs> fictional, it could be the basis for a fun and imaginative discussion on a podcast. Oh, there's just something about the way ChatGPT talks to me that I just want to knock its block off sometimes. So condescending. Yeah, I think it's the most bullyable thing in the whole planet. I'm not a bully, <laughs> wow, but I want to bully it. That's, that's the end. You can't yeah, start that's bullying bad, the Sarah. AI. That's the, how all the that's AI how World War III starts. dystopias start. And okay, then we okay. have to invent Taco Bell plantain. End it all. Every week here on Dungeons, we get together to try to one up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for, for glory and for Hank Bucks, which we'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of us will be crowned the winner, but not me. So now, as uh, as always, that we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sari. Good luck, said the fighter, to all of their kin. We're living for now, but there's nothing to win. We divide and we conquer, but also lay low. Who said that this creature and us must be foes? I'll try, said the builder, to all those in need. We've got our components and work with great speed, churning out structures that save human lives, as if this was our purpose. We make and we thrive. Take this, said the healer to their nearby friend. We give care and give food and are happy to lend whatever we have for the greater good. Together we do more than separate we could easy to think of bacterial cells as tools or as reapers tolling death bells, but their kingdom is vast. It spans oceans and dirt. They strive for survival regardless of hurt. They outnumber the stars and the sand and the trees. They form seeds of clouds or the stomachs of bees. They were life before life could give them a name. So at least let us marvel at all that they became. I think that's the most lofty, beautiful thing anyone's ever written about bacteria. I would I'm like not even joking. I think you can look at all of human history. <laughs> That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about them. That was yeah, great. I wanted to give some empathy before we go. Rah, rah. There's a lot of in the complexly media universe. 
and the Hank and John media universe extended. They universe, hate bacteria. Whatever. Boo. Bacteria Sour. disease. I just recorded an episode about antibac- antibacterial resistance. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if that's going to come up. I won't tell you anything I learned because I don't <laughs> want to ruin your facts. But it was pretty cool. Anyway, Siri, what's a bacteria? And oh, no, I've asked. Yeah. There's probably some fuzzy lines here. There, there are some fuzzy lines. There are also like a lot of subcomponents to this definition. So I'll try to keep it interesting. But they're single-celled. Yeah. But uh, they can aggregate and specialize in cer- certain circumstances. So like microbial mats, biofilms, like the like pond scum or the stuff that forms on your teeth. Sometimes bacteria can cluster up. But largely speaking, one bacterium is one cell, um, and that cell is prokaryotic rather than eukaryotic. And so prokaryotic means that they don't have organelles or little like sub-containers within their cell. They don't have a nucleus that holds their DNA. Their DNA is generally a one circular chromosome of a few megabases, so like a couple million bases, which is relatively small compared to like multicellular organisms. And they often have these little circular, uh, even smaller circular chromosomes called plasmids that you can use to hold a couple different genes. And those can occur naturally, um, but also is how a lot of scientists manipulate E. coli in labs or what scientists use E. coli in labs for is to amplify, put, put a gene, stick a gene into a plasmid and then amplify it so that you can do other experiments with it. And that's because uh, bacterial reproduction is very weird. Bacteria cells, um, they, they reproduce asexually. So they just bloop, uh, binary fission, they divide into two. Um, but they have lots of different ways of exchanging genetic material that are very weird because they are relatively simple. So they can take up DNA from the environment. Um, they can have little viruses called bacteriophages introduce foreign DNA. Or they can just kind of like smooch a little bit uh, and swap DNA through direct cell contact. And so with them being just one cell, going about the world, doing a bunch of things, um, there's a lot of opportunities for genetic exchanges or mutations, which is why, uh, partially why we have so many different bacteria that are specialized to so many different environments, whether that's deep sea or eating metals or radioactive resistance or um, building antibiotic resistance because these cells are relatively simple and can change a lot over time and pass on those changes pretty easily to each other. Does So do they get older or like, can they, how do they die? When you divide, how do you know how old you are? Does that make sense? Yeah. Which is the, which is the mother cell and which is the daughter cell? I think. With bacteria, it's just two new cells and they're both the daughter cell. And there's like, there there is, there's never one that like gets old and the other ones, it's like they're both new when they they divide. Yeah. So it's not immortality necessarily because like colonies grow and then you can destroy a bunch of them. But Mm -hmm. I guess asexual reproduction is kind of like in the way that the water is just cycling around the planet and energy is cycling around this universe, there is a chunk of the first bacterium to ever exist in every bacteria. Well, I mean, the first yeah. cell that ever existed is basically every cell that is on Earth, which is not yeah. not great uh, for <laughs> the existential feelings. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> okay. Is it not great for yeah. other more practical reasons or it's okay? No, no, it's it's fine. Fine. Okay. It yeah, it a little seems a little incestuous, but it's biologically fine. <laughs> Just cognitively helpful <laughs> setting. <laughs> Do we know where the word bacteria comes from? We got to. That's gotta be a new one. It is relatively new. So when we first started seeing microorganisms, um, so scientists like Hook or uh, Leeuwenhoek. I don't know how to say his name. Leeuwenhoek. Thank you. We started sensing, like looking through microscopes, seeing that there were protists and bacteria and little um, animal cells, basically. And the first naturalist who really dug into so-called infusoria, which I think he just was like dirty water, is infusoria, was a German naturalist named Christian Gottfried Ehrenberg, who described numerous microbes in in writing in a, a big tome. And the word bacterium came from the Greek bacterion, which is a derivative of Bactron, and they all mean stick or rod or staff or cudgel. So specifically, Mm. um, the bacteria, the first bacteria that were named were the kinds that were rod-shaped, so the bacilli or bacillus, which also derives from the Latin baculus, which means stick, and is the same root word as the baculum, which is the little penis bone. So lots of Mm. stick-shaped things (laughs) in nature. Mm, And we named bacteria because we were like, that's there's a little, little stick. St- little stick guy. So you're a little hey, there's a little stick, stick guy. guy down there. Yeah. yeah. Little Hello. Rod, which was my yep. nickname in high school. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and that means that it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show this week. It's time to go back to the gauntlet, the yes. ultimate game of science, knowledge, strategy, and treachery. So Sam and Sari, you're going to be facing a series of seven questions of decreasing difficulty asked by me. I will... I'll be directing these questions to you in order from seven to one, asking just one of you at a time, and you can choose to either answer or pass. If you answer correctly, you will get the points, the same number of points as the question number. So this hardest one gets more points. If you're wrong, then you will lose that amount of points, and your opponent can steal for that same point. If they are wrong, they do not lose any points. Uh, once they are stealing. If you pass, your opponent will get to be asked the next question, which is a little less difficult. After we're done, we'll revisit the past questions, only this time they can't be skipped. And if you get the answer wrong, your opponent can steal from you. And remember to pay close attention to all the questions because you might get some clues to help you on the harder questions the second time through. So for today's gauntlet, we're going to be talking about bacteria and the culture. Not bacteria cultures, but our culture. Are you ready? I'm ready. I was born ready for the um, gauntlet. I All right. I'm so confused by the gauntlet constantly. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like I'm not ready, but do it anyway. I do yeah. think the rules are a little different this time. I think me and Deboke pass them the back same. and forth, and we just like it's constantly evolving, just like a bacteria. <laughs> okay, Sam, you're going first. I don't know why. Question number seven: Bald's Leech Book is one of the earliest known medical texts in English, dating back to the ninth and tenth century. In 2015, a team of scientists from Nottingham University decided to test one of the treatments in the books against various bacteria. Based on their translation of the recipe, they mixed onion, garlic, and wine with one more ingredient. What was it? Spaghetti noodles. You're going to have to answer. (laughs) 
I was just kidding. That was a joke answer. <laughs> you sh- no, negative seven, negative seven. No, they are making a tasty bolognese sauce. <laughs> uh, it does sound good. I'm going to pass. I don't know. Good. Okay, Sari. It does sound like a little yummy sauce. Um, I don't get a consequence for this guess. So Correct. I'm going to say, I don't know, like silver, like a metal. Good guess, but no. It's not close or anything, but it is a good one. <laughs> Sorry, question number six. King Henry VIII's favorite warship was called the Mary Rose, but in 1545, the Mary Rose sank to the bottom of the English Channel during a French invasion. While people were able to excavate the ship in 1982, it has since been degrading. In 2021, scientists were able to figure out what one of the problems was, anaerobic bacteria. What were the bacteria making that was so bad for the ship? What was it about what the bacteria were doing that was so bad for the ship? They were making something that was bad for wood, I assume. I'm going to pass. I don't know. I mean, it can't just be acid. What's anaerobic mean? I'm going to pass too. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to try even though there's no consequence. Great. Question number five. Biota Beats is a collaboration between artists, musicians, scientists, and engineers to create music out of the microbiome. On their website, Biota Beats documents collecting bacteria from five regions, including the mouth, feet, genitalia, and belly button. What was the fifth body part? Mouth, feet, genitalia, belly button. Mouth, feet, hands. That is not right. Sam with the negative five points. It's great, though. That's, armpits. A, I bet it was armpits. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, do you want to steal? Yeah, that was going to be my guess. I think it's armpit. I think there's a lot that of That is correct. Damn. Yeah, baby. <laughs> to produce the bacterial beats, the team samples bacteria from various parts of the body and then streak them onto a large agar plate resembling a vinyl record uh, and sectors defined by the parts of the body that they were taken from. And after some time, they took images of the plates to gather data uh, from the colonies growing on the plates, including the diameter and density, and that was then converted into musical notes played by an instrument corresponding to the part of the body of origin wow. of the bacteria. What's the armpit bo- instrument? It's the saxophone. I just made that up. Um, oh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's pretty good, though. <laughs> uh, probably just the noise. It's fart probably noises. Fart noises. That's genitalia, right. too, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Sari, question number four. While bacteria and their waste can be damaging to historical artifacts, they can also be valuable tools for conservation efforts. Recently, an Italian team of biologists, historians, and conservators used bacteria to clean up a 16th century tomb in Florence. Who built that tomb? The problem is, is I don't know history at all. And if I guess, I'm going to embarrass myself. So I'm going to pass. Okay, which radical dude? Oh, a radical guy. Is it Leonardo da Vinci? No, it's not Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, he's radical. Question number three. Just like the musicians making bacterial beats, scientists have explored ways to control the movement of E. coli so that they can paint an image. In one case, scientists engineered E. coli to make a protein called proteorhodopsin that allowed them to control the movement of the bacteria with one other ingredient. With this oh. system, they were able to create an image of the Mona Lisa made of E. coli. What was the ingredient that scientists used what? to control bacteria to form this image? Uh, light. 
It was light. Oh, did you know yeah, that one? Got those opsins in your eyes. Oh, you know science, so you knew the answer. That sucks. She knew, a, she knew one of the science words. Yeah. I knew a science word. My degree was worth something. All right, Sari, <laughs> you get a chance to pull even further into the lead here. While older medical texts have suggested the use of cow bile to kill infections, the 20th century ushered in the antibiotic area, era, and the discoverer of penicillin was known to make art with bacteria. Who was that bacterial artist? Fleming? That's correct. Okay. Oh, I hate <laughs> you so much. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really, really embarrassing if I... Uh, I don't know if I would have got it because my friend's not on here. And I would have been embarrassed. In addition to being a scientist, Alexander Fleming was an artist known for dabbling in watercolors, but also biological forms. He made mold medallions made up of penicillium mold inoculated on blotting paper discs and mounted them between lenses. And then he would give these medallions to famous people like Queen Elizabeth II <laughs> and Winston what Churchill. A, what a weirdo. Here's your mold, your, your mold <laughs> buddy. Oh my God, I love that. He also made bacteria art by tracing images onto blotting paper and soaking the paper in nutrients and then applying bacteria to it. His subjects included a boxing scene between stick figures, a soldier, and a mother feeding her babies. He was having some fun. This one, this one sold for six thousand pounds at auction, wow. which is a lot, but like not yeah. unachievably a lot. But you can make your own mold. That's the thing. That's right. <laughs> it's it's easy. It's harder. In fact, I do it accidentally all the freaking <laughs> yeah, time. It's, it's kind of harder not to make mold than it is to make mold. Uh-huh. Sam. Bacteria art continues to be a popular art form, even now, with artists etching designs onto agar plates with different species of bacteria to get different colors. To get brown, you might paint with Bacillus subtilis. To get purple, you might turn to Chromobacterium violaceum. And to get a translucent edge, you might streak your plate with E. coli. What color does Micrococcus roseus make? If you're tricking me, I'm going to be mad at you. Red? It's question number one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <is>. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a pink red. There's also a bioluminescent one that you can use, Vibrio oh. fisheri, and uh, a blue green one that's Pseudomonas aeruginosa. I said that one bad. I'm sure. <laughs> I think. All you right. Did good. Now we're gonna go back through, and you got it. You got to answer. No passing. Sari, back to question number seven for seven points. Can you tell me what they mixed with onion, garlic, and wine? There was a hint on this one. That mold, maybe? No. Sam, can you steal? Sari, I listened to all the clues, unlike you, and wrote them down. <laughs> I believe the answer is cow bile. That is correct. It is bile Just of a cow. <laughs> oh, no. Seven points. The Nottingham University scientists were interested in a particular treatment that claimed to treat a lump in the eye, which might refer to a sty. Using bovine bile salts in their mix, they tested their solution against three different bacteria, and they found that while these ingredients on their own couldn't kill the bacteria, when mixed together and used to treat wounds uh, on mice, the solution was able to kill the bacteria. About one in a thousand bacteria survived. Is that good? For some pasta sauce with cow puke. It's great, (laughs) I think. (laughs) That's a a huge win. Yeah. All right, Sam, can you continue uh, pulling ahead? And tell me how King Henry VIII's favorite warship was being injured by bacteria. No, this one I don't. I can't even venture a guess. There was, that would be there was a bit of a hint. 
Uh, I figured there probably was, but I lost track. Sorry. Okay. What were they making? Um, sulfur compounds. That's great. That- They're not right. I would have accepted just poop. Just oh. poop. Just- <laughs> But also there were zinc nanoparticles in the poop. Scientists were able to study the ship's hull and they found that zinc sulfide nanoparticles. Well, there was sulfur in it. Now there I'm was reading sulfur, that. but yeah. I, I wouldn't give it to me. Um, <laughs> and when the zinc sulfide particles oxidized, they became acidic. They become sulfuric acid, damaging huh. the ship, I think, is what they became. It wasn't the only issue, though. Scientists found that a compound that uh, the, the wood had been sprayed with to keep it from drying out was also becoming acidic and contributing to the damage. All right, Sari, now you can try and get this question about the radical dude who built a 16th century tomb in Florence. Is it Michelangelo? Yes! Damn it. I chose the least radical Ninja Turtle when I answered my (laughs) Uh, question. He's the most radical Ninja Turtle. Darn it. And then we got that one, we got that one, and we got that one. That's it, everybody. How did we do? Okay, I did score it because I felt bad as soon as I said I was doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you said sulfur compounds. I got to give it to you. I got to give it to you. Zinc sulfide. That's a sulfur compound. Damn it. If I would have taken poop, I definitely should have taken zinc sulfide (laughs) as sulfur compounds. Mm. Okay, okay. Well, then the sweep continues. Um, So Sam is seven. Sam's pretty good, but he got a lot of negatives. I got a lot wrong. I think. You got zero, exactly, right? Negative eight plus eh? Oh, yeah, plus positive eight. That would be zero. I got 20. <laughs> A very balanced game. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but we can... I got 20. <laughs> we can tally it out to one point. I don't know. No, you got 20. <laughs> Shoot. Zero to two, zero to 20. Sam almost I'm got negative seven, but he got zero, which is huge. Um... <laughs> But there's still a chance for him to come back, I guess. (laughs) Next, we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? (laughs) Good. Here's what I'll tell you. Like the, 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 
the part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know, I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everybody. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind and an attempt to, for Sam, overcome 20 points of death. My facts better be really fucking good. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> After they've presented their facts, I'm going to judge them and award Hank Bucks anyway I see fit. Uh, I'll, I'm going to have a total of 40 to give out. So Sam <laughs> okay. can get... Okay. Sam can get... Uh, can sweep this too. 40 points. You can sweep it. You can sweep okay. it. All okay. right. To decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Bacteria like Salmonella and Campylobacter are responsible for around 1.8 million foodborne infections in the U.S. each year. To understand more about how these bacteria might spread, scientists at Rutgers watched 371 adults cook the same turkey burger recipe in different <laughs> kitchens. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> 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 this is sponsored by HelloFresh. <laughs> the, subject, the subjects of the study were given prepackaged salad, a seasoning recipe, and raw ground turkey patties infected with a bacteria infecting virus or bacteriophage oh. Oh, okay. MS2, which is safe for humans. <laughs> okay. When the subjects were done cooking, the researchers swabbed surfaces in the kitchen for MS2 to see where that bacteriophage ended up. And they found that the most frequently oh. contaminated objects included the trash can lids makes sense and cutting boards but the most contaminated object of all was surprisingly spice containers what oh. percent of spice container samples had the bacteriophage on them i would say that there are 60 percent of them that are 60%. contaminated yes i think it's like 90 percent. i think mm. i don't trust people at all well, as you may or may not know, people, of course, do mostly do the, the spices with their mouths. Uh, and so it's a big deal to get a bunch what? of bacteria all over it. You don't use, you don't use your mouth for the spices? I have to go. Yeah, I think I do. Well, you get all really do good that. twisting off the cap with your tongue. Yeah, with your you're tongue. grinding the pepper. Uh, uh, you're grinding uh, the yeah. pepper. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> it was 48%. So Sam oh. gets to go first. So the term slime mold refers to an informal group of single-celled organisms that are called slime molds because they spend some part of their lifetime being really slimy and they look like mold. So Dictyostelidia is a particular group of these slime molds. I think they're an amoeba, whatever that means exactly, uh, that do something really weird. They colonize an area and eat all the bacteria there. And when they run out of bacteria to eat in an area, they all sort of blob together into a mobile form called a slug because it looks like a slug and they crawl off to more bacteria laden pastures. So that in itself is like distressing in a sci-fi horror movie kind of way. But these gooey guys have another trick up their metaphorical sleeves that make them seem even more like advanced little aliens. Around 2010, a researcher named Deborah Brock was studying these dictostelium, looking at them through a microscope as you do, when she noticed that about a third of them had something weird going on in the long thin structures that they grow on top of themselves. So these structures are basically the fruiting body of the mold, and they're usually full of spores. So when it's time to reproduce, the dictostelium dries up or something like that, releases the spores, and makes little clones of itself. But the dictostelium Dr. Brock was looking at didn't just have spores in their stalks, they also were carrying bacteria in there. It was the same kind of bacteria, in fact, that they eat. So that was really weird, and possibly it was like an infection of some sort. So Dr. Brock treated them with antibiotics to get rid of the bacteria, but the next time that the dictostelium were exposed to the bacteria, the same ones that had bacteria in them the first time ended up with bacteria in them again, and the ones that didn't have bacteria in them the first time didn't get more bacteria. So Dr. Brock kept experimenting and figured out why one of these guys had bacteria in them. So before the slime molds got together into their slug form to look for more food, these dictostelium would stash away a few bacteria in their little hat thing. Uh, Then when the slug de-slugged, they would release their spores and along with them, the bacteria, which would then do its bacteria thing and start multiplying and colonizing the new place that the slime mold would set up shop. So they were effectively planting new fields of bacteria wherever they went. So Dr. Brock nicknamed these special dictostelium farmers. There are a few trade-offs like farming dictostelium are slower than non-farming ones because I guess to like a guy that little, bacteria are heavy enough to make them slow. And Mm. also farming dictostelium have less offspring. I think maybe because they have bacteria where all their babies are supposed to be. But when the slime mold end up in a place where food is scarce, you know that those farmers are thriving compared to non-farmers. And even when the slime didn't end up in places low on food, the bacteria that the farmers stored and brought with them seemed to be the type of bacteria preferred by the slime molds. So they're growing that good shit and they're helping everybody out. This makes me wonder, if you're like like an Olympic sprinter, do you need to make sure that you've pooped all your poop out? Mm. Or are you going to be a little slow? Because you're a little heavier than you'd otherwise be. It's a great takeaway from my fact. Probably. Uh, I bet you probably do. Yeah. You came up to the mic like you were going to authoritatively tell me a story <laughs> of a sprinter you know who takes big poops before sprints. No. I'm just wondering, what I was mostly thinking was like, is there a sprinter who had a bunch of poop in them and they were like, I lost that race by one fraction of a millisecond and I know it's because I had to take a big crap. Hmm. (laughs) I was lugging that around with me, like a (laughs) dictostelium with its bacteria hat. Exactly. I love that. I love, man, I love a farmer. Uh, I love it even more when it's a creepy slug. What? Did you? hate that they get together into a slug no i love farmers (laughs) i hate that they get together into one guy and then they're like i think they look more than anything more than any other type of slime mold 
very pokeable. Like I want to touch a slime right. mold slug because they look kind of like Orbeez. And those are fun <laughs> to touch. That's true. <laughs> they do and you just like know they got a little bacteria hat. So you don't poke the bacteria hat, you poke the rest of their body. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can't poke the bacteria hat or else they'll be in trouble. They'll starve. Their families will starve. <laughs> Sari, what do you got? So in the ocean, bioluminescence is practically everywhere. Uh, some animals can make their own light, but others use symbioses to glow. And one of the most well-studied partnerships out there is between the bacterium Vibrio fisheri, which we mentioned in the oh. gauntlet, Mm-hmm. and the Hawaiian bobtail squid. The gist of it is that the squid provides these bacteria with a home and nutrients to grow in its light organs, while the bacteria help it camouflage at night through what's known as counterluminescence. They glow only on the bottom of the squid so that it blends in with moonlight when seen from below, mm. and it still blends in with the dark ocean floor when seen from above. That's cool and all. But what is more interesting to me as a big old biology nerd is how cellularly intertwined these organisms are. So, for example, baby squid have to gather V. fisheri from seawater as they're swimming around, pumping water through their bodies. They have these specialized wiggly cell bits called cilia, which we have in our lungs and intestines and whatnot, that coax the bacteria from the water into deep pockets of their light organs. And these cilia disappear after a successful bacterial infection. So they are a key part Mm. of the development of the squid. And that's not all. These symbiotic bacteria affect the genetics of the squid and vice versa. Like we know that V. fisheri bacteria produce light because of a gene system called flux, where proteins upregulate and downregulate based on things like how densely packed the bacteria are or how much oxygen is available. And these factors are directly sensed and controlled by the squid. The squids cyclically do things like spit out 95% of the bacteria every day back into the ocean to regulate levels of nutrient sharing or light brightness or to repopulate the ocean, or the squid's body adjusts the amount of hemocyanin floating around to affect oxygen availability. And because light is such a measurable output in the lab, scientists have been able to dedicate their careers to unpacking the nuances of these rhythms and this gene regulation and the co-development of these two organisms. And I'm just scraping the surface here. I don't really have a thesis for this fact. I just (laughs) started reading about these guys and there was so much. Uh, And these are just like a couple little things of how intertwined bacteria are with macroorganism cells. And it really makes me wonder about all the signaling that's constantly going on between bacterial cells and hosts Mm -hmm. that we haven't found ways to measure yet because they aren't as obvious as a glow. I mean, all on its own, having the bottom part of you glow so that you're like, I'm like the moon. (laughs) Blend in is very, very clever. What are those octopus species called? That's the Hawaiian bobtail squid. They're little guys, too. They're very cute. They're so small. Oh, my gosh. So not only that, but then like you start digging into, they have to sense the moonlight. They have to control the bacteria somehow. Like the bacteria don't decide how bright the moonlight is. Squids no. kick them out Squid. or deprive them of oxygen or any number of other things. Give them, give them extra oxygen. Yeah. So like the, the squid circulatory system is feeding the bacteria. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. All right, I said I was going to have 40 points to distribute. We've got slime molds that farm bacteria, which is like, what's so special about humans anyway? And then a symbiosis mm. between glowing bacteria and Hawaiian bobtail squid, which is like, 
nothing is special about humans. <laughs> We're so boring. Yeah. 20 points each. That means the Sari is going to be our winner for this episode. Oh. Uh, congratulations, Sari. You came out with a lot more points than Sari. <laughs> I'm rich. Now it's time this to is, ask. I'm Hank Buck Rich. <laughs> now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a, a, a we got a question for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. Smay745 on YouTube asks, what's the difference between pre and probiotics? Can you have too oh. many of one and not enough of another? Never heard of prebiotics in my life. Yeah, it's a new that's a that's the newer one. I think hmm. it, correct me if I'm wrong, Sari, but a probiotic is when you eat some bacteria. And a prebiotic is when you eat stuff that bacteria like, theoretically. And so you're putting bacteria, like the right kind oh. of bacteria food into your digestive system so that the bacteria are happier and more well-balanced or whatever. That's it. A hundred percent. I can <laughs> retire now. <laughs> I have a bunch about the history of these two terms if you want, but we can also yeah, just... I, we, probiotic is a little bit of a weird thing to say because it's not it, like you... What you would think is that the definition of the second thing would be probiotic. Mm -hmm. It is a thing that is good for the biotics, yeah. mm -hmm. but that's not really the situation. The probiotic is just the biotic. Well, it was specifically yeah. defined as the opposite of an antibiotic. We've got antibiotics, oh. which are. <laughs> but that's but the prebiotic but is right. the thing that's yeah. good for the bacteria. But I think before we knew that humans could just eat food that were good for bacteria, we were specifically studying bacterial interactions with other bacterial. So. There, in general, since like cultured milk and yogurt and whatnot existed, the the concept mm -hmm. that microbes could affect the gut microbiome existed. And this is like mini tangent, but there was this guy called named Ilya um, Meknikov, who was a pioneering immunologist, like won a Nobel Prize for his white blood cell research. He wrote this book called The Prolongation of Life: Optimistic Studies. In 1907, wow. which sounds like the most eugenics-y, like weird <laughs> quack scientist research book. But really, he just like really loved bacteria fermentation. Um, he got very obsessed with thinking about this idea that um, in Bulgarian peasant populations that ate yogurt, they had enhanced health and longevity. From there, other folks throughout the 1900s started noticing that growing one species of bacteria in a medium um, and then pouring that media on other bacteria would enhance the growth of both. So like something that was being made by one bacteria mm. could help the gro growth of both. Mm. And then people put those ideas together where maybe something in that fermented milk being created by other bacteria would then help the bacteria in your microbiome. And the word probiotic was first gotcha. use was first used in 1965 to describe these substances secreted by one microorganism to stimulate the growth of another because the first um. antibiotics that we kind of knew of, if we're thinking of penicillin, were substances secreted by one microorganism that uh, destroyed the growth of another. Okay. Or like so not so stupid after all. Okay, I yeah. guess. It okay. If uh, like the growth promoting as opposed to growth reducing right. factors. Right produced by microorganisms. The idea of prebiotics in general started also a while ago, 
1921 and also in like traditional uh, diet and nutrition ideas, they people found that their tummies felt better following the consumption of certain types of carbohydrates rather than others. And specifically, in 1995, Glenn Gibson and Marcel Roberfreud introduced the idea of prebiotics as something that is not digestible for humans, but that are edible by bacteria that selectively like stimulate and feed bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, fructans and galactans are the two big pig groups that are considered to be like prebiotics or some of the first recognized prebiotics because Mm. they really contribute to certain kinds of bacteria metabolism and increase the populations of those in the gut. All all that to say, straight up eat the bacteria (laughs) or eat food for certain kinds of bacteria that you don't need. And either way, you are... um, helping your little microbiome and i don't think you can really eat them out of balance as far as i know there's probably a lot of research into like ratios of either thing but i don't think you can be like i've eaten too much yogurt and now <laughs> i got the poops. i mean you can eat too much yogurt, you can eat too much yogurt. there's yeah. always an amount <laughs> of something that's too much uh, <laughs> but i think that it that in general it's very hard to study all of this stuff um we don't we don't know that much and it, it would be and that the effects tend to be subtle and they tend to be um, very different person to person. So mm. makes it difficult to study, but definitely good to eat food that's good for you. <laughs> what, I, <laughs> yep. what I'm kind of coming down away. to is I, I <laughs> should be drinking less Coca-Cola is the yeah. main thing. You're going to get some kombucha uh, in you. Yeah. I've been getting into booch lately. I'm a booch no. boy. Getting yeah. into the booch? Mm-hmm. You're a booch boy. Mm-hmm. I'm booching. <laughs> you go to the nah, farmer's I... market enough times, you're going to end up booching for sure. You start booching. <laughs> if you yeah. want to ask the science catch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to at SoFloves, at Connor Sponsor. And everybody else who asked us your question for this episode. Sorry, Connor. I said that like I was a little drunk. Uh, (laughs) also if you are a fan of little things and you want to see them sometimes i'm like i i'm at a friend's house and they bust out the telescope so we can look at uh at you know saturn or whatever etc but man when you're when you're over my house we bust out the microscope and we look at the little wiggles we look at the our little the little small rods uh, <laughs> they're looking back through it up at you like it's a telescope and they're like look at that guy holy look shit oh my god it's a giant eye uh-huh. that's a, a big that rod a squid? Yeah. <laughs> that rod is huge <laughs> and journey to the microcosmos has created because i always was like i don't know what microscope to get so we finally created the perfect beginner microscope and you can find it at microcosmos.store check it out i love mine it's right over there I, uh, it's summertime, so it is microbe city, uh, everywhere in Missoula. It's been a beautiful summer so far. My God. Yeah. Gotten very lucky. Um, but check it out at microcosmos.store. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's so easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents, become a patron, and get access to our newsletter, bonus episodes, and when we hit 700 patrons, 
We will do a Minions movie commentary. Uh, so go subscribe because we're tantalizingly close to discovering how much piss a minion, a minion can hold. I don't like the word tantalizing in that context. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. And I just love reading them. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people tell about, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Eve Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Wixman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Dunamedish. Our executive producers are Nicole Sweeney and me, Hank Green. And we couldn't, of course, make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled. One more thing. One of the main bacteria that makes sourdough bread sour is called Fructolactobacillus San Franciscensis. It's on. The, if you're watching the video, it's on the screen right now. It digests maltose produced by sourdough yeast and makes lactic acid and acetic acid as waste. So that's a buff fact mm. in itself. But the story of sourdough might involve poopception. No, no. A 27... 27- a 2017 paper tried to suss out where this bacterium came from because it's been a long-standing mystery. Maybe gotten a bread dough from human skin, or the air, or grains. Who knows where? So, according to these researchers' analysis of over 130 species of insect poop, there's a chance that F. San Franciscensis might have come from the butts of beetles, moths, flies, and so on that feed on stored grains. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> it's all poop. It's a sourdough's my favorite bread. Sourdough's it my favorite bread. Poop. I've eaten so much of it. It was yeah. always bacteria poop. Now it's just bacteria poop from bacteria that were pooped. That makes me feel a little better, I guess. Does it? But... Yeah. <laughs> oh, now it doesn't. I take it back. <laughs> bacteria poop from poop. It's all all over, everywhere, all the time. Dookie Earth world. is living is just a living world. Earth is Dookie World. You can say it. Earth is definitely Dookie World. <laughs> I don't not in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs>